the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Good morning. Big welcome to my mum and my niece. Alexis, wow. <laughs> Just yeah, how are you Alexis? Yeah, she's still not she's still not convinced about me, clearly. <laughs> Need to put a bit of time into that. Awesome. <laughs> I know that is bad, thanks. We're gonna try and move on from that now. <laughs> cool. So yeah, like Murray said, over the next couple of weeks we're gonna have a few messages on uh, handling disappointments. Yes, so today we're going to focus on a couple of biblical characters and we're going to discuss what I believe, I believe his attitude should, to disappointments should be. So uh, first of all, I want to uh, talk to you quickly about a couple of disappointments in my life. I assume that the slides are ready to go. The first one is not so serious. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, just even looking at that brings back the memories. So good. So I grew up with Snifters. They're probably one of my all-time favourite lollies. They remind me of like first going to the movies with my parents and then with mates and then eventually with a girl or two. Yeah, health and safety reasons. I won't, won't go into that. Mainly my health and safety because Juliet's right there. <laughs> it's all in the past. So... The disappointment I remember when they got, uh, I think it's, it's over 10 years ago now, where they got uh, cancelled, they, they stopped the production on them. I still remember. Uh, so when Pascal and Cadbury said that they were going to come back, I was pumped. I was so pumped. I was going to get ready to get a whole bunch, uh, set up some movies. Yeah, and then, and then this happened. Can I have the next slide? Oh, goodness, I can barely even look at them. Actually, if we can go back to the other slide. It's just, yeah, so much better, yeah. So, actually, that was quite a, actually, when I think about it, that was quite a serious disappointment, actually. I think these are both serious disappointments. So, yeah, a few of you know that I was involved in a ministry here. It was uh, called the Release Group, so Christians Against Poverty. So, yeah, I was really spurred on by all the success that Jeremy had, and I was inspired and encouraged by Val, who is sitting here somewhere. Yes, I felt like I'd finally kind of... You know, found my calling. So, uh, yeah, it would it'd be simple, I thought. Now that I've kind of found my calling, it'd be really simple. I'd have a year or two of running this wildly successful uh, group service. Um, I'd have all these hordes of people coming in. I'd probably have to turn people away. Stuff would probably show up. They'd probably want to do an article on me, me and my life. And then I'd probably write a book. And then after that, I'd be on Oprah's couch, and that would be the rest of the rest of yeah. <laughs> Okay, maybe not the Oprah couch. But to be honest, most of that did kind of flash before my eyes. You know, you, you, this hope wells up in you, and you think, oh, yeah, this is, this is it. So when we struggled to get people to show up, and I spent nights here with my mum and our lovely support team with kind of no one coming through the door, those expectations quickly shattered. And left behind in their place was, yeah, like, disappointment quite bitter disappointment actually I just I just didn't understand kind of what what had happened but a bit more on that lately so yeah we've been making our way through this series called faith in action so we've heard sermons about not following the crowd about stepping out of the boat about 
uh, being involved in something bigger than yourself. I've heard testimonies about people being healed and ministered to. But unfortunately, so often when we, we do choose to step out in faith, the adversary is quick to try and bring disappointment and discouragement and um, ultimately defeat. I mean, that's his goal. So we need to be really careful in guarding our hearts and our minds. So before we delve into the word, I just want to share another quick diagram. That one, number three, if we could, Daniel and Ivy. The world's most basic uh, diagram. So, yeah, I personally believe this is actually quite accurate in terms of the way the adversary operates when it comes to disappointment. So uh, I'd like to kind of look at these biblical characters with this kind of template in mind. So the theme of this is, it's suggesting that disappointment, so unmet expectations, can lead to discouragement, which is loss of confidence or enthusiasm, which can lead to disillusionment, uh, abandoning of beliefs, which then can lead to depression, severe sadness and hopelessness, and then ultimately defeat, which in the Bible defeat is normally to be overcome, destruction. So yeah, when we, when we go to the Bible for stories about disappointment, um, we don't have to look very far. <laughs> uh, there's heaps of well-known examples. So we've got Adam and Eve, Moses, King Saul, Elijah, heaps of others. But today, the first person I'd like to talk about is actually Jonah. Now, I'm reasonably confident we've all had some exposure to the story of Jonah and the whale. Um, I'm going to summarize these events leading up to his great disappointment in kind of as quick a fashion as I can. So the story is conveniently found in the book of Jonah, which makes total sense. So that's sandwiched between the books of Obadiah and Micah. So that's the latter half of the New Testament. So Jonah's this prophet who's called by God. Uh, and God speaks to him. So I've got the slide up there now. I'm going to read this. is Jonah 1, 1 to 3. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up, again, has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee unto Tarshish, which is in modern-day Spain, to flee from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa and found a ship, going to Tarshish. So he paid the fear thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Okay, so Jonah's instructed to travel to this large, sprawling city of Nineveh. So it's, it's this capital of the Assyrian Empire, and it's described by heaps of scholars as the world's first superpower. Now these Assyrians are an enemy of Israel, and they're like constantly seeking to war with them. Now I won't go into detail about how a cruel the Assyrians were because honestly the stuff that they used to do to people would turn your stomach. I, I actually had to stop reading it. Their kings would boast about all their cruel tortures by actually painting murals on their palace walls. So they were absolutely horrid. And it's, this is an important thing to note because it kind, of note, it kind of highlights how a man like Jonah, this Jewish man like Jonah, would have felt the prospect of, of going to this capital city and speaking to these people and telling them that, that God's not approving of their actions. So, yeah, naturally, Jonah's not too fond of that idea. He bails, boards a ship, going in the opposite direction. So, but yeah, as we know, running from the presence of God isn't really recommended or even that practical. So we all know what happens next. Huge storm. Jonah's fast asleep. Clearly not a man burdened. <laughs> he gets woken up by the captain. He's busy freaking out, as are the rest of the crew. Now, once they all realize that the only way to stop the storm is to chuck Jonah overboard, 
in he goes, storm stops. As a side note, I don't know, just, this is not really related, but as a side note, the Bible says that all the men aboard actually started fearing the Lord and made vows to him from that date on. So the whole boat actually got saved. Jonah's been chucked over, uh, Jonah being chucked overboard. I don't know, I just thought that was fascinating. Yeah. But we fast forward three days. Uh, Jonah gets swallowed by a whale, sorry. Forgot that bit. Fast forward three days, he's in a whale's belly, calls on the Lord, repents, spat out onto dry land. And then once again, the Lord comes to Jonah and speaks to him. In Jonah 3, 1 to 4, and says, it says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter in the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So Jonah heads into the city of Nineveh, he starts preaching, and who knows what happens next. Yeah, so a miracle. And Jonah 3, 5, so the people of Nineveh, these horrid, torturous people, believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. And it says, God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways, and God repented of the evil that he said he would do unto them, and he did it not. Wow, so like I said, in other words, an absolute miracle happens. The whole city gets saved. And it even says in verses 6 and 7, which I don't have up there, that the Assyrian king repents. He sits in ashes, and they even put a sackcloth, like an a, um, outward visual of their, of their inward kind of mourning. They even put it on all the animals as well. So they kind of go to the nth degree in, re- in repenting. So you think, you know, as this evangelist, that Jonah would be pretty stoked, right? I mean, that's probably the biggest success rate to an altar call ever. And did you catch how big Nineveh was? It took three days to walk around it. Biblical scholars estimate that there were over 120,000 people in that city. It's basically Hamilton. But Jonah isn't stoked. Um, if we go to the next slide, Jonah 4.1 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. So Jonah wasn't just angry, he was very angry. But why? Because he was bitterly disappointed in the outcome. But more on Jonah later. I'd like to talk quickly about our next example, which is the story of Naomi. So once again, a story we're all probably pretty familiar with. It's in the book of Ruth, the Old Testament. And it starts with this woman named Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, and their two sons. So there's this famine in Israel and and, uh yeah, they want to get out, so they travel to the nearby country of Moab. We would assume for like a more prosperous life, they want to get away from this famine. So firstly, Naomi's husband dies. And then her two sons get married. Uh, one to a woman named Orpah, and the other to a woman named Ruth. Then those two sons die. So suddenly this prosperous life isn't seeming that prosperous. I'm sure the outcome isn't what she expected or wanted, She's now alone in this strange country uh, with only her daughters-in-law for company. So Naomi plans to go back to her native country of Israel and her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, want to come with her. But she discourages them in doing so. So this is what we're looking at now. She says, Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope. If I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, 
Would you tarry or wait for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them, stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Yeah, so Naomi's basically saying, look, girls, the best case scenario is if I find a husband tonight and get pregnant, you're going to have to wait until they're old enough to marry. Or are you going to wait until they're old enough to marry? Of course you're not going to. So go your own way. So after that speech, Orpah kisses her goodbye and leaves. Disappointment and discouragement are contagious after all. It's actually true. They ran studies on it. (laughs) Scientists call it EC, emotional contagion. Your emotions are actually more contagious than your germs. So, mm, just as a side note. Orpah's part in the story ends because her decision, she, she leaves. But famously, Ruth stays on and swears to go wherever Naomi goes, even if it causes her death. So once back in Israel, all the people that Naomi knew previously gather around her. And that's in Ruth 1, 20 to 21. If we could have that one. And, and she, Naomi speaking, says unto them, Call me not Naomi, which means pleasantness. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord's brought me back home again empty. Why then call me Naomi, seeing the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So the, the dictionary definition of bitter is feeling or showing anger, hurt, or resentment because of bad experiences or a sense of unjust treatment. In the Bible, bitterness is often associated with crying and misery. In other words, Naomi is expecting more. Uh, She went to Moab expecting a better life, but instead she lost her husband and sons, and she thinks God has treated her unfairly and that he's let her down. So if we were to look back at that pyramid diagram, if you guys could bring that up, what stage would you say that Naomi is at? She was certainly disappointed. I know that. Was she discouraged? Yeah, she, I mean, she discouraged Orpah and Ruth from following in her footsteps. Was she disillusioned? Yep. She was feeling completely let down by God. She even said that God's hand was against her. Now, was she depressed? I'm going to tread lightly here <laughs> because I know depression is this huge topic, especially these days. I can only really speak from my own experiences with depression. So this is my own experiences speaking. I've had numerous seasons dealing with it. The first thing that stands out to me about depression is the hopelessness. It's that feeling that nothing will ever get better and getting to the point that even if good things do happen, they're like dismissed and ignored completely. It's like they never occurred. Naomi goes as far as changing her name from pleasantness to bitterness. It sounds to me like she was feeling pretty hopeless. She isn't very optimistic about the future. She's essentially saying that bitterness is who she is now. She even says that she came back from Moab empty. But hold on a minute, what about Ruth? Naomi doesn't even register the love and commitment of her daughter-in-law as a good thing in her life. It certainly sounds like my experience of depression. And what about where we left off with Jonah? He had just experienced the miraculous revival of a whole city. 120,000 people repented and turned from evil. And what did he have to say about it all? So this is in Jonah 4, 2 and 3. You guys are really onto it with the slides today. Thank you. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was this not my saying when I was yet in my country? 
Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repented thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to live, to die, than to live. Wow. So Jonah knew all along that God would be gracious to the Assyrians if they repented, that he'd forgive them. And that's why Jonah ran away from his mission in the first place. He couldn't bear the thought of this evil, murderous nation being shown mercy. And you know what? In some ways, I can relate to Jonah's thinking. If I think of how this country's been run, of the appalling things that happen all over the world every day, the modern-day slavery, the wars over greed and power, I get pretty angry too. I start to desire God's judgment more than I desire his mercy. My expectation is that God should feel the same way that I do. But the Lord says in Isaiah 55, 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, saith the Lord, neither are my ways your ways. If I was to chart Jonah's progress along our pyramid diagram, I would say he ran from disappointment as long as he could. But disappointment was inevitable for him because his expectations and desires didn't line up with the will of God. Once he hit disappointment, I think he skipped a whole bunch of those stages and just went straight to depression, even to the point of begging God to take his life. I think that's a pretty common sign of the adversary's involvement in our lives. How many times have you experienced real spiritual breakthrough only to feel utterly crushed soon after? Either by circumstances or just by your own emotions, the adversary tends to overplay his hand. He gets bloodthirsty. He's impatient. Because remember, he's everything that God isn't. And he can almost taste our defeat. So it's like he comes in all guns blazing often abandoning the slow and subtle approach for an all-out assault. So I really felt, as I was preparing for this, this is maybe for someone here, maybe it's for my own self, but if you're being attacked that quick and heavy, either recently or right now, and and you're even getting to the place where you're questioning your place on this earth, I would say to you that you're probably on the edge of great spiritual breakthrough, that you may have stepped or about to step into a season of profound calling and purpose. I'm just going to put that out there. I felt to bring that. So, You see, Jonah knew the Lord. He knew his voice. But he let his own expectations and desires disappoint and discourage him to the point of, not want, of wanting to give up on his calling and give up on life altogether. So we don't actually know how the story of Jonah really ends because his dialogue with the Lord at verse 11 just shuts off. Um, we don't know if he, impen- uh, if he repented of his anger towards the Assyrians or if he even lived much longer. The story is just left open-ended. And sometimes I think, well, it must be purposeful because <laughs> everything in the Bible is purposeful. But sometimes I, I wonder if it's almost asking the reader that same question. It's asking the reader to, to reflect on, on how they would deal with that situation. So when it comes to Naomi, the story is a little bit more encouraging. Once they get back in Israel, Ruth attracts the attention of this kind, wealthy guy named Boaz. And then she goes back to Naomi to tell her about it. And Naomi says, Blessed is he, blessed be he of the Lord who has not left off his kindness to the living 
and to the dead. So Naomi certainly changed her tune. Now she's praising the Lord for his kindness. And uh, she could have said, nah, don't bother, Ruth. Like, look at our lives. Like, everything goes wrong anyway. What's the point? She could have cried out to the Lord to take her life like Jonah did. But instead, she encourages Ruth to keep going to the fields that Boaz owns. And from the outside looking in, Naomi's starting to sound pretty hopeful. Eventually, Ruth gets married to Boaz, and they have a son. And it says in Ruth 4, 4 to 16, And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which has not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel, and he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine, of thine old age, for thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, has borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. So this child that Naomi's become a nurse to goes on to be the father of Jesse, who's the father of King David. The lineage that follows all the way through to Jesus Christ himself. So was the Lord dealing harshly with Naomi when he let, let her husband and her sons die? I mean, yes, in that moment it could have definitely appeared that way. But you see, the Lord had greater things planned for her. And he more than made up for her losses by blessing her with Ruth. According to her friend, Ruth was worth seven sons. Another five more than she had. And a child. She was blessed with a grandchild that would share the same bloodline as Jesus Christ. So what an honor. So what are we supposed to take away from all this? First off, I think we need to recognize that this is a war, eh? Like, it's a battle. And it's kind of down buzz as it is. Like, we've got an adversary that hates us. I um, mean, he's going to do whatever he can to cause us to doubt God's goodness. So he's been trying it since the very beginning. So disappointment is the sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. That's the dictionary definition. So when our hopes or expectations don't line up, with the word of God, when they don't line up with his promises, then we leave ourselves open to disappointment. Which, if we allow to take root, can be an opportunity for the adversary to further influence us into discouragement, disillusion, depression, and eventually defeat. For example, how many people have heard doctrines that say true Christians should be happy, healthy, and wealthy? Anybody ever heard that before? Yeah. So if we go around thinking that we should get pleasure from every situation, how would we interpret the following verses? Psalm 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I've kept thy word. So the psalmist's suffering actually drove him closer to the Lord. He goes on to say in verse 71, It is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes, and I might learn your, thy laws, thy ways. What about healthy? If we go to the next slide. In 2 Corinthians 2, 9, uh, 12, 9, sorry, Paul asked the Lord to remove the thorn in his flesh. Very well-known verse. And what does the Lord reply? My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Perfect in weakness? Perfect in weakness. Paul goes on to say that he now glories in his infirmities, which is, means physical or mental weakness, that the power of Christ may rest on him. And what about wealthy? 
1 Timothy 6, 8, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 8 and 9, and having food and raiment, so food and shelter, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition, which is damnation. So Jesus himself warns his disciples in Matthew 10 how hard it is for a rich person to enter heaven. So some people are blessed with wealth, but that's for kingdom building. And the Lord has the final say on on how it's spent, or else he might just take it all back. So if we go around thinking that we're just going to be happy with every situation and and healthy, and that the Lord's going to bless us with mansions on this earth, then most of us will be sorely disappointed. We should instead be yearning for our mansions in heaven and our perfect bodies. So yeah, it's already been talked about a bit today, but maybe some of you here are feeling, you're sitting here and you're feeling disappointed. You might be disappointed in people or in circumstances. You might be disappointed in the sermon. (laughs) Thanks, Nicole. You might have been feeling that you've been let down by God. Yeah, a verse came up, a verse came up actually, prompted by Murray. I was going to talk today a bit about the story of William Carey. Great story. But to be honest, I felt like what Renee came up and shared is a modern day version <laughs> of, of, of what William Carey went through. So, yeah, I won't go too much into his. I'd say let's just dwell on Renee's because they are very similar. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9, We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Amen, right? Satan's victory isn't about us experience disappointment. Because, as the wise Mr. Dave Mack says, I was hoping you'd be here, Dave, so you hear this. Disappointment is inevitable, but discouragement is a choice. So true victory for the adversary comes in keeping us disappointed. It comes in keeping us discouraged, keeping us disillusioned, keeping us depressed. Because he wants to destroy any chance we have to bring God's glory and expand his kingdom. So naturally this plays out in our faith and action walks as well. So to the people that would relate to Jonah, and I would say don't be disappointed if God gives you a heart for people that you didn't really want a heart for. Yeah, because when we step out in faith, I believe that God's going to send us to some place that's going to work on our hearts, not just on the hearts of people we're ministering to. And to the people that relate to Naomi, I would say, don't be disappointed when what you had planned isn't what God has planned. Be encouraged that God's ways are far higher than ours. And he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I'd say, have patience. See the adversary's schemes for what they are. Schemes to draw you away from the purposes of God in your life. Easy to say and hard to do, right? Like so much scriptural truth. (laughs) For me personally, it took me quite a while to get past the discouragement and disappointment that I felt over the release group. Probably too long. Thoughts would whirl about in my head that it was all my fault. I wasn't prepared enough. I wasn't good enough. And that I'd be bound to see this failure again if I tried again. It took me a while to recognize the adversary at work. Because he's a liar, right? Father of liars, he's called. What I should have done earlier and what we need to be doing is feeding ourselves with the promises of God. So meditating on his way 
not listening to this broken world and the prince of it. I don't know what the fruit of the cat release group is. I may never know until I get to heaven. But it's in God's hands regardless. God saw my tears. Renee, you put it excellently. God wept over Jerusalem. He, he wept over his friend Lazarus. He, he cries with us. I truly believe that. So. so you may be thinking, yikes, Mark, what a downer. <laughs> Why would I want to step out in faith <laughs> when I could potentially have all these horrible things to look forward to? My simple answer is because we serve a God who's bigger than all those challenges. And he promises to never let us down. So if you're someone who wants to see change for your families and change for your communities and change for your nation, I'm begging you, ask the Lord where you can step out in faith. Because when I look around this room, honestly, I see so much potential for the kingdom of God. And we need not be disappointed, not with what's happened in the past, or disappointed if we step out in faith and things don't work the way we've planned. Because we serve a God who's far bigger than us. And he always has the best for us in mind. So that was part one. Next week, we're going to be talking about part two. And we're going to be talking about a big disappointment that we can actually all rejoice in. So please feel free to come join in for that. But for now, we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you do cry with us, Lord. That even in disappointment, you're right beside us. Thank you that you've given us all these promises in your word. And I ask that this week you'd help us step out in those, Lord God, to be salt and light for you, to bring you glory and expand your kingdom. I ask that, Lord, if there's any here that are disappointed and finding it hard to get out of that cycle, that they would come for prayer. But I ask right now too, Lord God, that maybe they're feeling too afraid to do that, Lord, that I ask that your Holy Spirit would minister to them right now. Lord God, and that you would bring the healing that you promise in your word to those that love you, Lord God, all for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.